My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. So this is the, this is where it gets, the plot thickens. Um... And oh, actually, when we first had gotten married, um, Pastor was trying, like, thinking about, like, he didn't, like, even give us a clear, I was like, so is he going to come to New Windsor? No. Pastor's like, no. I'm like, okay, so am I going to go to Bogota? And he's like, no. Like, he couldn't figure out what he wanted. So I was like, I remember telling him, I was like, okay, I think we should go to Albany because they have, they have, like, they need help in Albany. He was like, yeah, yeah, go to Albany, go to Albany. I was like, okay. Like, it was really bizarre. Like, I had never told him where I'm going to go before. So I was just kind of like, should we go to Albany? And he was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I think maybe they need help. And he was like, yeah, yeah, go there. Um, and he had even, like, mentioned to us, oh, why don't you guys go start a location? And I was like, no, Pastor. I only have known him one week. <laughs> like, I'm not even thinking about, uh, you know, opening up a church right now because I don't, I don't know him. Um, very quickly, you know, I knew that this was, I mean, obviously it was purely for the gospel, but like, there was literally like negative, like attraction and I'm sure both ways, like, I'm sure I wasn't his type either. Like nobody, like nobody marries the one they want to marry, you know, um, in the church. And so, um, it was a very volatile fighting all the time you know like I was always so frustrated with him because I was always like this like super gospel worker and I always felt like this man just can't get it together you know like he's like not a good teacher like I would hear him teaching and I'd be like what you know like I just was like in any way possible I was not attracted to him like everything so so, but I also was like determined to like make him a man, you know, like I was determined to like, we're going to do this, but you're going to do this. Like I did not go through this kind of like suffering to like, just be stuck in this like shitty marriage and not have like some blessing, you know? So when the opportunity came for us to go to Florida, like they had, they were deciding between Pennsylvania or Florida. And, and pastor told us, wherever you find a job, just move there. And I only applied in Florida because I was like, I'm getting away from these people. So, 
So we wound up in Sarasota and um, within the first month we had a short term preaching. So like we were still like getting the furniture in and I get a call from missionary Rebecca and she's like, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to set up a short term in Sarasota. And I was like, okay, perfect. And we just made it happen. And that's where the whole human trafficking situation happened because, you know, we're in this new location and Sarasota is like, it's not like super small, but it's like, I don't know. It's like when you bombard this one location with like 40, 50 people preaching about God, the mother, you know, it's a lot. So um, we had one of the sisters, uh, it was a two sisters, they were preaching in Target and they had preached to this lady she had like her three-year-old daughter with her and then she was like nine months pregnant literally about to give birth and um they preached to her and um you know it's short term so one was preaching and one I guess was like taking pictures with her phone and yeah and I'm like you guys look like freaks you know sorry you look like freaks (laughs) so um I just can't even imagine now like even though at the time like I was like wow like they're preaching the gospel but I can't even imagine someone approaching me now and someone has a camera and they're like trying to invite I would be like I'm calling the cops like get away from me um so one of the sisters was like saying stuff like she's preaching to her about mother but she she's saying to her like wow your daughter's so beautiful look at her cute curly blonde hair and her bright blue eyes she's so cute you know like going on and on and the lady's like getting increasingly like freaked out and so she after that whole experience I guess she wrote on Facebook like she made a whole post like if these people preach to you about God the mother like I don't know she was taking a video of me I don't know if there was someone waiting for me in the parking lot you know like basically I don't remember if she used the words human trafficking but she was like basically saying something sinister is going on here this Facebook post goes viral like like over a hundred thousand shares likes this that right so separate from that um a guy had come to study and um as he was studying I guess he like told his roommates you know that he was studying he was like dude have you seen on Facebook like there's like a lady who was scared that this was like I don't know if it was you know what's going on with them but if it was like human trafficking or what or I don't know like so we had we found out about it because of a separate person that had come to study their roommate had seen this post So because this post had gained so much traction and had gone viral, um, this guy who was doing a podcast, like, I guess he like scans Facebook for like the next big story or like whatever he could like talk about in his podcast. He wasn't like a religious podcast or something, you know? Um, So he, he picks it up and he puts it on, he like features it on his podcast basically. And so we just became church leaders you know, we have short-term preaching here. I'm cooking my ass off every day. Like I'm like, and this is not something I was used to doing in the church. Like I was always in the study room. Like I was never the one like 
domestic and taking care of kids never you know and now all of a sudden I find myself like you know in a whole new role so I was totally like a fish out of water from the beginning and I will say like after at that point I had been in the church like eight years like my anxiety like I was not okay like I had full-blown anxiety like issues with anxiety by that time and um I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god what are we gonna do and so we're in Sarasota the the main church closest to us is in Tampa Florida and they also just had a church leader change and the missionary that was sent there um my ex-husband had called him and was like I don't know what to do because now like this is like a rumor that's being spread and it's being featured on podcasts. And, you know, what do we do? Because now everywhere we go, people are like, you're human trafficking, you're human trafficking, you know? So he was like, this is verbatim what he said. I was sitting next to him when he called him. He said, we really can't bother New Windsor with this. So you're going to have to handle this. Okay. My ex-husband, he has the discernment of a goldfish. Like, what do you mean handle it? Like, what is he going to do, you know? So, so he, (laughs) he writes to this guy, right? He, he, he was like, the Queen's Award, the Queen's Award is the answer for everything, right? He's like, they can't say anything because we have an award from Queen Elizabeth, right? So (laughs) he writes to the creator of the podcast and he was like um it seems that you have misinformation um this church that you're calling you know like a human trafficking ring is actually a well-respected church we received the queen's award (laughs) he like sent him the, the link to it and then what do you know the next podcast he comes out with is like this church is called the church of god so now they've connected the first they just knew it was God the mother. They didn't know what church it is, you know? So they're like, they're like, oh, it's the World Mission Society Church of God that's the human traffickers. Okay, so now then all of a sudden we're turning on, I think it made it to the news, right? We turn on the news and it's like Jungil Ja, like her picture and human trafficking. And I was like, congratulations, you became the first slanderer, like, in the church, like, it's like the first church leader, current church leader slanderer, like, member, you know, to my ex-husband. And he was like, and elder, we spoke to, um, when it got to that level, like, we spoke to um, Elder Victor, and he ripped, ripped him, you know, and he was like, who gave you authority? to do this and then we went back to the to the missionary you know who was he he was in the the main church in Tampa but we were technically under New Windsor we weren't under him you know he totally denied it you know he's like I I didn't tell you to do that why would you do that you know and I was literally sitting in the room with them and um yeah, from that point, because we had connected the church to this human trafficking, it spread like wildfire. Every campus, every, you know, every area, like, has heard about this or experienced this type of persecution. Jordan, do you know the name of the podcast? That would be really fun to, like, get a hold of that guy. 
That would be funny. I, I don't know it, but I don't know it, but I could try to find it. But I, I just remember that he like was a guy with like crazy hair, like doing a podcast in his basement by himself, like just like having fun with like things that go viral on the internet. If you um if you think of it, let us know. I'd love to reach for out. Sure. I'll do some little side research and maybe I can find it. For sure. Did for the, sure. so so you guys never did you guys ever end up reaching out to Daniel Lee about it? Or I'm sure he knew about it because Elder Victor knew, yeah, right? We spoke, yeah, we spoke to him, but he was like, the thing about Daniel Lee is that like when once you've like pissed him off, like you're not worth his time. Like he's not dealing with you. You know, like we were like we were like um we were church leaders, right? But we weren't like taken seriously. It was like, yeah, go make it work. You know, like on paper, we have 300 churches. Yay. Like we, we did our thing, you know, but he didn't give us guidance or support us or, you know, anything, um, financially, spiritually, emotionally, anything, you know? So he was not, he was not dealing with it. Um, and then from that point forward, like we were like, he had made us an example in front of the whole East Coast for like every leaders meeting for the next like almost two years, like, like ripping us. Um, but he never spoke to us directly about it. Like He never called us and rebuked us directly, like talking like a personal conversation just in front of all the leaders. Like he would just say like, you know, you go and you start a house church and you think you know something because you became a church leader. And then like every time we would have a meeting, it would turn like more and more, like he would add more and more to it. And even I used to trust his wife and how, how she doesn't have the discernment to stop her husband from, da, 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 you know, all this stuff. Like, and we knew like every single leader's meeting, it's coming, mm. it's coming. And like, we'd get like to like towards the end, I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe we went like, maybe this time he won't bring it up. Boom. He'd bring it up. Like, so. I'm oh my God. Talk it. about anxiety. And so you yeah. guys are still so young and you're having to deal with all of this and be publicly, re publicly rebuked over and over and over. Yeah. Jordan, do you remember, did you guys, re did you and your husband re or ex-husband rebuke the, cup the, the two ladies that were preaching that were in the original video? No, 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 no. They were like, uh, old, like two, I think one was like, a older mom, like, you know, like she could be like my mom's age kind of, you know? So she was just laying on the love bombing way too thick on that baby. Like calm yeah. the fuck down. People yeah, don't like yeah. when you talk to their baby like that. And like, maybe don't record it, you know, like, <laughs> right. maybe, maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think like by the time all this happened, like short term preaching had ended, you know, so this was like over the course of a couple of weeks, but yeah, it was like, and like, when I tell you when I saw mother's picture like on the news and they connected World Mission Society with human trafficking. And I knew it was because he had sent that email. When I tell you, like, I almost died. Like, I almost just like, totally, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to hell. Like, I'm like, I'm, my life is over. My life is over, you know, like. And I'm like, how does this happen to me? Like, 
I kept feeling that I would like get so like I would get so many blessings and then like this like huge thing would happen and like I would feel so guilty like wow like I'm such a sinner like why does this keep happening to me where like you know like this is big this is really big you know like and um yeah and it was just like such a struggle because like you know my ex was not like even he was just as incompetent spiritually as he was physically like he would not like bring in much money or like keep a job like he would lose a job because like his his um license would get suspended and then like he couldn't drive the company car that they gave him so they would fire him like shit like that you know and so I'm like working as a medical assistant in Sarasota Florida which is like a super expensive town like on the beach in Florida um and like our rent was like almost 2,000 a month it's just me and him like I remember like am I going to eat today or am I going to, you know, what, what's going to happen? Um, or am I going to pay the electricity, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. And um, I remember we had this couple that had, they were a part of the Tampa church and then they had transferred because they had moved and they were very like successful. They, he had a dog training business. Um, he's ex-military and he, they were, they had a very successful thriving business and <clears throat> the sister had come up to me and she was like, cause it, you know, in the big Zions, we contribute for rent and stuff like that. Um, but in the house churches, they don't have that kind of, you know, system. So, um, I guess she was used to like the big church and like how she would give like contribution for that. So she was like, you know, we got a really big bonus from one of our clients and I really want to pay the rent for the house church this month. And like, you know, I'm like, oh, sister, like, that's such a big blessing. Like, you know, like, okay, like just accept her offering, you know, but I, I couldn't just use that. Like, you can't just like put it in the system and like pay the rent, you know? So I called um, the head of accounting um, who I would report to, like, uh, the one that would, like, uh, I would send, like, the report for, like, the tithe and offering every weekend, um, and I called, she was a Korean deaconess, and um, I said, oh, deaconess, like, this sister, she wants to give contribution for the rent, it's, like, the whole next month's rent, um, but I'm not sure what I should do, because I know, like, this is a self-supporting mission, and she goes, oh, let me talk to pastor, and I'll get back to you, I was like, okay. She calls me back. She said, yeah, pastor said um, to put it as a brown envelope Zion offering. Don't write it in her Zion offering card, but just enter it in the system as her Zion offering and then just deposit it with the rest of the offerings. And it went straight to New York. Do you understand? I couldn't. I couldn't afford to put gas in my car. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I was wearing like clothes from New York living in Florida. Like I couldn't buy a new wardrobe living in Florida. You know what I mean? Like, like I remember like giving the deposit in the bank like this, like, like I'm like, oh my God. Like I, and I was like, surely they'll have mercy on us. Like surely, surely they will like be like, okay, yeah, use it for this and then record it. Like, no. 
It's like, yeah, oh send it straight to New York. Did the sister ever know? No, that's what I happened. couldn't tell her. Don't don't record it in her envelope because you know like when you uh, when the members would hand in the um, offering for the brown envelope like sometimes they wouldn't write the amount but when you like record it like you put like the amount and like your initials or whatever right they're like yeah just don't write it in there so she doesn't know <sighs> like, let her let her think <sighs> that she you know uh... So like, I would feel so bad because now they see like, and I would literally serve sometimes like rice and beans, like three times in a row, you know, because like we were so broke and I'm like, what is she going to think? Like, she's like, sees right. nothing, nothing helped. Like, and she could, I, they, they weren't dumb. Like they had been in Zion for like a couple of years at that point. So they knew like the struggle, you know, I'm like, what is she going to think? Like, and yeah, that's like, like, she's oh. gonna think like you just took the money and didn't give anything extra for Zion. Yeah. Yeah. She's gonna it looks bad on exactly. you personally, not not on the church. Yeah. Well, hopefully she hears this. I don't know if she's in or not anymore, but if that was you, yeah. just know. That's what happened, girl. Sorry about it. And uh yeah. <sighs> So um, eventually the Northeast and uh, the Southeast had split off. So everything from, I think, South Carolina, South Carolina down became like the Southeast Association. Um, and um, we were now under a, a new elder. He was the overseer for Florida. And, you know, like none of these, all these house churches that they established, I don't know if you guys had in Denver, like, um, or if you had heard that it was like an East Coast thing, but Danielle had a hard on for like establishing 300 churches. It was like, it was happening, you know? And like, we opened up like the most random locations all over the East Coast. Um, but we always felt there was a competition between our was. pastor was always competing with your pastor. Like, Around that same time, I'm thinking like 2009, 2010 and on, house churches, every yeah. single place, even every city in Colorado, they're like trying to go, I think they're doing it again, like, you know, Lakewood, Aurora, just even around Colorado, but then they, you know, they try to go up to like, we went up to North Dakota and, you know, down to Texas, all these places. And like you said, it's just for a number. Um, so at that time, um, when they like changed overseers and everything like that, I, they all, a bunch of these, basically what I was trying to say is a bunch of these house churches had closed because nobody was supporting them. Like it was just, you know, two people, maybe sometimes four, they would go and try to make it work. Like rarely would they bear fruit that would like last and stay and become gospel workers. Or what would happen is they would bear fruit they would be companies that had potential and then they would be sent to like the main church. So they would never let the ones who were, you know, growing to like stay and like help like with preaching. So you get burned out very, very quickly. Um, I was so depressed. I was so burnt out. I had like anxiety through the roof. Um, it was crazy. So eventually like the overseer in Miami um, he told me like, why don't you guys just come here, you know, like take like a, like recharge yourself. Um, you know, which wasn't really a recharge because 
by the time I got there, there was like 50 sisters waiting for me to be their group leader. So, <laughs> um, but I like at the time, like I was still very like wanting to like do the gospel and still wanting like that kind of blessing, you know? So um, we left Sarasota. We moved to Miami. We were, we were in Sarasota, I think 2017 to 2019, maybe like two and a half years, something like that. So I became a group leader in Miami. Uh, this is December, 2019. Uh, it's not Miami. It's, it's called uh, Lake Worth, Lake Worth, the Lake Worth Church. Um, and I really like this elder um, that I was working with um, and his wife, like I was actually very close with them. And I, I will say like among the leaders, like he was one of the easiest for me to work with. And I was very close with him, which is like what I needed at the time, because I was like, I, I like my nerves were shot. Like after going through like the whole human trafficking, being so broke, all these things, like I, I felt like, like, I felt like I had like a metal coil like wrapped around my body and it was just getting tighter and tighter. And like, I couldn't breathe. Like I was so like, I don't even, I don't even know the word for it, but anyways, so we move it's December, 2019, then 2020 COVID hits. Right. So, um, but I was still like, um, thriving. Like I was still very much involved in the church. I was very much, uh, you know, we weren't going to the church for like a good couple months, but like I was on zoom every day doing zoom Bible studies. I was doing Bible studies with all the sisters, like contacts and all the, everything, you know? Um, and by the time the church had opened up again, like my group had like almost doubled in size. Like it was like, you know, we were still, you know, like, you know, still growing a lot. Um, so 2021 comes around and they had changed the overseers that I was super close with had now moved to Denver. Um, and then we got another overseer that came and I actually, he was the same overseer who had introduced me to my ex-husband. So I had known him from that um, time, but his style was like opposite of the other elder who like, and they're fruit and branch as well, these two elders, but they're like opposites, you know? Um, and he, I don't know if he like felt he needed to like really prove himself because this was like, the first time he was in such a big location and had so many branch churches under him, but like he was really intense. And I had just been at that point where I now at this time, at the end of 2021, in August 2021, I had turned 30. And I just remember like reaching a point where I was like, like, okay, my husband is like, I tried to put him in he, he was not like I don't think he would even like turn in his packet that they had to turn in and I would be like you have one job like just and I, and I would tell him straight like you are an awkward person and you know like you have some disadvantages because there's a lot more charismatic brothers than you who can teach better than you like they have a lot more to offer than you but you're getting this opportunity so like all you have to do 
It's very simple. All you have to do is just hand in that damn packet, like just hand in the packet, you know? And he couldn't even like make that happen. So I was like, okay, so like spiritually, like that's not going to happen for us. So like all these dreams that I had had to be like this church leader, like, you know, I thought I would be like this church leader's wife, like, you know, whatever I thought that was all gone. Like I had totally lost hope for that. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to be like the gospel working, super gospel worker wife. And he's going to be like a happy construction brother. Like, okay, like that's what it's going to be. Well, like he couldn't even show up for construction on time. Right. And so like, I remember like in that year I got called into the overseer's office like 15 times being rebuked for the things that he's doing. And I'm like, I, I literally feel like I'm a mom getting called to the principal's office. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, what, how, do you really think he's going to listen to me? If he's not going to listen to you, he's going to listen to me, you know? Um, and it just became, I remember even thinking like, and I, and I would tell him like, hey, why don't we like maybe save money? And buy a house or something. Cause I was like, if we're not going to be like sent places and like, that's not going to happen to me. Like, like, let's settle down, you know, like, let's like get our life together. We're in our thirties now. Like I, we have no education or, you know, like real life experience. Like let's just like buy a house or something. And like, at least we're not throwing our money away renting, you know? And he looked at me like, I'm crazy. Like I'm like, I'm like, I'm demon possessed. Like I'm like, I'm so unspiritual. And I'm like, you know, so I felt like stuck. I'm stuck. And I had, I got to the point where I was like, I, I cannot do this anymore. Like I am 30, you know, like I need to get my shit together. Like I need to, you know, I, I don't, I just have a high school diploma. Like I have nothing, I have nothing like to fall back on you know and I'm like the first thing that I need to change is I need I need to get out of this marriage because I can't take care of him anymore I can't like he doesn't want like he, he was always happy preaching and he did like bear a lot of fruit but that's as far as it went like he was just like I was like he wants to be like a happy brother that's fine I'm totally fine with that but he doesn't want to I don't know. It's okay if you don't want to advance, but like, don't cause more problems. Like, just like do like, just be happy. But then like, he would feel, he would feel very inferior that like, he came to this church as like a pre-theological student. And now he's like, as time progressive progresses, he's like knocked down more and more and more, you know? So I'm sure he, you know, has, he felt bad about that. But like, at the same time, I'm trying to help you and you don't want to help yourself. I don't, I don't know what to do for you. So I was like, you know, I need, I need a divorce. Like this, this is not going to work out. I've given it at this point almost seven years, you know, like it's not happening. Like it's not working out. But at the same time, I just could not do that in the East coast. Like I was like, I know what they're going to say about me. And I definitely don't want to like go back to living with the sisters there's no way I'm gonna like go from being like a married person to like living with the sisters and dealing with that um also like the church leader like overseer like I just didn't 
trust him with my vulnerability, you know, like going through something big like that, because I had been in meetings with him when he, where he would just like tell a fellow group leaders, like entire business, you know? Yeah. So I, um, I called him and was like, look, I, I can't, I can't stay here. Like I need to get out of here. You know, um, I hadn't told him that I wanted to get divorced yet. Um, but I was like, I need to, I need to get out of Miami. And he was basically like, okay, well, I can't look like I'm telling you to come, but if you want to come on your own, you can come on your own. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I don't need you to ask anybody. Like I'm coming, you know? Um, and so this was like end of September, early October. So this was like Feast of Tabernacles time. And I remember it was like right around, I think like right after the Day of Atonement. I can't remember if it was before or after, but I, without my ex, you know, I went to the elder and I was like, um, I just want to let you know, like, I'm going to move to Denver. And like, that's so triggering for him because like, I think he was always like in competition with this elder because they're fruit and branch and, you know, they've been in the church since they're like fetuses and they're like, you know, constantly, I think he like, they're constantly like being compared to each other, I guess. And he was like, what, you know, like, but did I do something wrong? You know, like, is it, is it because of me? I was like, no, like, I'm just like, I just need like a change, you know, like I really need to like regroup my mind and, you know, whatever. And I remember like, okay, so then the conversation ended and he had called me back into his office, like three or four different times. Um, I just wish I could paint the picture of like how this man is like he, if I have anxiety, this man is like on another level. Like he is like really paranoid, anxious type. He used to text me at like two or three o'clock in the morning. Like, what about this sister? What's the deal with this? What's happening with this? What's happening with this? And I, and I didn't know any other way, but to just be totally accommodating, you know, and I would never not answer him. I would never like, you know, I would, I would go above and beyond to like, please him, you know? And <clears throat> he said to me on one of the times he had called me, he was like, oh, it's just such a shame because I just, was thinking about putting in a request to make you a deaconess. So, and I was like, like, don't, don't go like, don't go low like that. And I was like this, thank you for your consideration. Like, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, they, it's, it's like, it's like Lindsay said, like, they know what to play on. Like, they know your weakness. Like, they know I've been doing the gospel for years and years and years without a title. They know what to say to like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. like, hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um. So I went to Denver and I was like fully separated. Like, um, I had, we had an apartment, but like, we were like separated, like from the moment I got there. Um, the elder was like, oh, like, it's so like, I'm so happy. Like, he thought he was getting like the Miami version of me. He had no idea. Like I was like on my way out. I had no idea I was on my way out, but I was like at my limit, you know? 
And he was like, oh, we're, you know, like we're thinking about opening up a like house church here, here. And I was like, um, before I, before you go any further, and I think, I don't know if my ex was in the room or not, but I was like, just so you know, like I'm filing for divorce, like that's happening. <laughs> and he was like, what? And he had just announced, you know, when, when a new couple or new member comes and they do the, we love you, he had just announced like our arrival and like, I don't know, it's the main dent in Wheat Ridge, right? Yeah, it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we were. We came for a third day in Wheat Ridge. And I just remember, like, from the moment I walked in, the moment I left Miami and stepped into Denver, like, I was, like, unplugged. I was totally unplugged. I was, like, like, I don't know. I don't know, man. And um, I had filed for divorce. Um, thank God we had just come from Florida because in Florida you can like get a divorce in 30 days because um, if you don't have like kids or assets that you need to divide and stuff. So it was like a simplified dissolution of marriage, 30 days. um, It was done and that was it. And I had taken a second job. I started teaching English um, online Um, and I, that's how I met my, now husband, um, I was his teacher <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it's funny because I, you know, I was going through the divorce, but I was still like, I was definitely, I wasn't, I was just keeping service. Like I was not, um, at this point I had been in Colorado, maybe like two or three, almost like a month, maybe at the time. And the elder was still trying to like, you know, we have all these white people here, you know, you need to teach them. And I was like, look, like, let me just be very real with you. I barely want to keep the Sabbath day right now. You want me to teach them to keep the Sabbath day? Like I am, I'm barely holding on, you know, and I would not, um, come to Zion during the week. I would just come for service. I would leave in between service to the point where like the Quansanim, like she's a Quansanim now, but I was, I honestly was very, very close with her. And I like, I have hope actually for her that like one day she'll like come to her senses because I know she knows what's up. Like she was the person that told me in Miami, do not write what you're really feeling on the website to mother because they will read that. She straight up told me. So like, she always kept it very real. And I remember like, I wasn't coming and this wasn't me, like the girl they knew in Miami, like this gospel worker they knew in Miami, I was a totally different person. And she was, and she came to my apartment. It was like, you know, random weekday. And she was like, what is going on? You know? And by the time I had already started talking to my husband, you know, and he was definitely like a big part of what woke me up, you know, because he was telling me like, you know, obviously my husband is Muslim. Like you guys see my, you see, I'm very obviously Muslim now, but, um, you know, he was telling me that, you know, religion should bring you peace at least the very least, you should feel calm, believing what you believe, like, even if you don't want to believe, okay, like, whatever, but 
if you're going to believe something, at least that should bring you like peace and calm. And when he said that to me, it's like, I don't know. It's like, I was pierced like to the heart because I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, like, yeah, faith should bring you peace. It should bring you calm and make you feel like I have support from something that's bigger than me, but I've never felt that ever, you know? I've never felt that like I I thought I would say that I can rely on mother and that I I can trust in her but I've never felt it back you know it's always been one way and that just like shook me and like from the moment that I heard that it wasn't the doctrine it wasn't it wasn't you know some like oh like he wasn't really baptized in 1940 it wasn't it wasn't any of that it was oh my god like I'm in this alone like I've been pouring my heart out and I've never gotten anything back I have written to mother for years years like pouring my heart out like I'm miserable with this man like he's not doing anything like and I'm like you know like even I shouldn't feel like this. I know I'm such a sinner, but like mother, like I need you. I need you. Like, please just call. I would write my phone number on my letter like 15 to 20 times. Like, please, please. Like if you just call me, like if you just say it's going to be okay, I believe you. Like I'll be okay, you know? And, you know, obviously that never happened, but um, yeah, like, I, it's so funny because the last Sabbath that I kept in Denver, um, I think it was actually on Christmas. It was December 25th. I think it was, um, I, it was the last service and I'm about to like head out, you know, like I'm, and I think I was moving to back to New York. Actually, I went there, I went to Denver to get divorced. Once that was done, I was like, all right, I got to get out of here now. (laughs) I got to go back to my family. So um, I was about to like dip out of the church and they were like all the, like the deaconesses. I don't know anyone's name really. Cause I wasn't there that long. Um, all these like deaconesses were like ushering us back into our seats and like, just stay because we have a presentation that everyone needs to see. I was like, okay. And that's the first time I ever heard of playing in traffic. <laughs> That was the first time. And they said, this is Deaconess Tony. Yeah. And she and they and Deacon Chad. And they had that picture. Um, I think it was maybe you, Lindsay, that was holding like that vase, like with that like creepy head or whatever. And I'm like, so awesome. And I was like, but you know, something like normally I would be like like enraged, you know, normally, but I was so numb that I was like, okay, like, you know, and I just remember looking around at everybody and I guess, cause they know you so much, they know you so well. And like, you had been there for a long time. And then the elder, he made people like get up and like say their experiences with you. And one deaconess had gotten up and she was like, this deaconess worked so hard. And like, she's like going on and on. And to be honest, this deaconess that was talking, like she rubbed me the wrong way from like the moment I walked in the church. I don't want to say her name, but I was like, okay. And they made me, they made me go preaching with her one time. And I, she was like, 
I'm like, I can't, I can't. I like where this is. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's just going on and on. And like, honestly, like, I felt like, like, why are you like, you're like, you couldn't wait for this moment. Like, I was so detached that I'm like looking at her. And I don't know if it's because like, I just didn't like her from the jump. But I was looking at her. I'm like, you couldn't wait to get up here and judge the shit out of Tony. Like, you couldn't, you couldn't wait for this moment. Like, I could just picture that you guys are probably like, in there at the, around the same time. And like, she she, I could just feel like from when I came there and she saw how like the elder was talking to me, like she felt like I was like, like she has to look out for me. Like I'm coming for you. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want any of what you have going on, you know? Like, so I'm like, you, you know what I'm saying? And then, um, then she started talking about Chad and all this stuff, but that was the first time I had ever saw the playing in trap and they showed like the logo and everything. I um, love, I love that the church. That's great the- advertising. Yeah, I, yeah, really. I had no idea. I didn't realize that. And I love that. And I love, I hope that so many people heard about our podcast that day. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And um, after that, did you listen? No, no. No. Um, I didn't. So I went back to New York. Um, I stayed in New York. This was like, okay, December, I went, I left Denver, then January comes. Then, you know, I'm getting like super serious with my mans, you know, like, and we're like talking every single day. We were FaceTiming every single day. Like we had very quickly felt, you know, like we are literally each other's person. Like we, like I'm obsessed with my man, you know what I mean? So, so, and also after going through what had happened to me in Kentucky, you know, when I had revealed like my true feelings for somebody and it being like taken from me, like I felt like my husband was somebody so special that like even the church is not worthy of like, I I couldn't open up. If they said something like what had happened to me in Kentucky, like I don't know, like, I guess because I still had like the tiniest bit of faith at the time that if they had said something like, oh, like this can't happen or something like I knew there would be a part of me that was like, maybe I need to like cut it off. And I just couldn't do that. So I had kept him like a secret. And I was like, that's I'm not I'm not going to lose him. I can't lose him, you know. So January, I'm in New York, February. I moved to Saudi. My husband is Jordanian, but he works in Saudi doing IT. Um, he's an uh, operation, uh, IT operations manager. And um, and so like where we live in Saudi, it's like very, it's the, it's in Riyadh. It's like the capital. It's, it's like almost like Dubai. Like it's very, everyone speaks English. Like it's very modern and built up and super, super nice. Um, but I didn't stop believing for like months, even, even in Saudi, like I, so I came there in February. Um, and I remember like the Passover was coming and I had like missed the Passover. I was, my brother was actually in contact with me, um, to keep the Passover like individually. Like it just showed me like how strict things were um, for years and years and years. And now 
I can go to Saudi Arabia and be approved to keep the Passover by myself. And don't forget, I was allowed to send my tithe and offering to him electronically, like wire him the money, which I did. Yeah. So anyways, the Passover came and I just like couldn't. After everything I had been through and it seemed like I could literally like just sacrifice my entire self and it would mean nothing at the end of the day, you know, it's like all this like talk of mother's love and, and don't give up animo, all these things. It's just like over and over and over again was proven to me. Like this is all in vain. Like This is all at the end of the day, you're a number. They don't care. They'll trade you out for anything. Like six months. Okay. So then eventually like I just like you know I was done like I wasn't keeping worship and it then like a couple of months later um I had like contacted like a girl that I was super close with when we were in the church and she had also left and she sent me Raymond's episode and you know I've known Raymond for years so like hearing from him like it like turned my world upside down because like up until that point, even though I wasn't keeping worship, like he was still like, like Satan, you know, he was still like the enemy. And when I heard his side, I just like broke down. Like I, and after that, I, I listened to like every episode uh, of the podcast. I went on the, you know, examining site and I was just like, oh my God, like everything was a lie everything was a lie and yeah like it took me leaving the country like being a world away from everything and I was still afraid to look on the internet I still had so much fear um but then when I did like like I got a lot of clarity eventually you know and I had to really learn how to become a human being <laughs> because um, all of my time before the church, I was a kid. I was in high school. I was, you know, I was a child. I didn't have any experiences as an adult outside of the church. And right after uh, we got married, my husband took me on vacation to Turkey. And <clears throat> it was so cool, you know, like, Istanbul is like an awesome place you have to visit it's so awesome but I remember like getting out of the airport and walking like in the city square and being like am I supposed to preach like even like I'm like like I don't know how to act you know and I remember like probably like a couple days into the trip I had like a panic attack because I was like you probably think I'm such a weirdo because like I don't know I had never been on vacation like I hadn't been on vacation in 13 years. And anytime I had been on vacation before that, it was like a family vacation as a teenager with my parents. You know what I mean? Like I had never been on a vacation as an adult woman. So I was like, I really felt like a fish out of water. It was really, I felt like I was like, what do they, how do they call it? Like um, imposter syndrome. Like you don't know who you are. And I'm like, I feel like I'm like trying to like, pretend that I'm a grown woman adult you know um so like it really has been such a journey to become like a 
human again. That's how I feel. Like, really, I felt like a, truly an alien among people, you know? It's been rough, but it's getting there. I feel like a totally different person than what it that was. That is such a great way to explain it, like an alien. But do you remember how when we were in there, they would say how um, how we were like aliens? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, so it's really, it's like, it, it's yeah, such because, a mind trick. Because they, they made us into like freaks. That's why you're right. like an alien. <laughs> right. But it is like, as you get out and as time goes on, as then you start healing, it's like you start unthawing in like realizing your personality and making real connections. Yes. Yeah, totally. I'm like, so happy months, that you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, six months after I got married, I got pregnant. Um, and then my little baby boy, he came April last year. And it's so crazy because I remember when my son was born, like one of the first thoughts that went through my mind was like, how can she be our true mother? How can she be our mother? Like, I'm, I know my son two seconds and I would die for him. Like, I would do anything. I can't imagine if my son is like calling out to me, like, and, and needing me and, the, the only thing I wanted from her from her was a phone call. Like a phone call is the most basic, bare minimum thing you can do as a parent. And like she's the reality of mothers. Like, like that's a like some people they try to say, oh, when you when you have a baby, you realize mother's love. Okay, but not her. <laughs> it's not from her. She's not the reality. You know, like I never felt like she was there for me when I needed her. But I was always reaching out to her, you know. On the note, on the note of mother, really quick, can we just direct people's attention to the "We Love You" post? <laughs> There's a picture of mother, and she looks so sick or old, or something's wrong with her, and/or it doesn't even look like her. So we should put a link at the bottom and let people see that if they haven't seen it already. That's really creepy. I don't know if it's bad editing or what's going on there, but it's sort of been giving me nightmares. Like I've been dreaming about the church again and stuff. I don't know. Just seeing her. Yeah. And thinking about her again is I don't like it. Hey, you guys, I just wanted to send a really quick voice note since some of our audio cut off at the end of part two, but I have a little bit of a cold, so please bear with me. Um, in summary, I wanted to say that speaking out on your experience is so important. It has helped so many people understand and process what they've been through and help them to heal. I know from my personal experience, hearing other members' testimonies and their stories and their personal experience, it really helped me to put things in perspective for myself. And so, you know, whether you were a member for a year, two years, three years, over a decade, we can all share in the experiences that we had and we can find, you know, community in that. So it goes without saying that we know all the things that the church labels as slander, like those who speak out and 
you know, talk about all the things that happen in the church that they now label as slander. We all know that that's true and we all have witnessed, you know, those things. But also your experience is unique. We all have our own story as well. And I think it's really important to speak on because they love to control the narrative of why members leave. And they love to use our stories as cautionary tales to keep current members and gospel workers scared and not leaving the church or feeling like they don't want to be judged for the same thing because half of them are probably going through the same things that we went through. But because they see what happens when people leave, like they don't want to fall into that category too. But it's not fair. They are not allowed to control our narrative or what happened to us. Um, And I think it's something that we need to look at with critical thinking. If they're saying somebody left because they wanted to get married, that's a red flag. (laughs) It's normal for people to want to get married and have a family and do all those things. It's perfectly normal. And for a church to control that is not normal. That's a red flag. You know, if they're saying that somebody left because they never had faith, I'm sorry, that's just not going to work. Because even if you, (laughs) according to them, even if you keep just one Sabbath day after learning about the Sabbath, you have faith. What about the person that preached the gospel for over 10 years and gave up their entire life? You cannot say that that person didn't have faith. That's a cop out. That's them shifting the blame. It's just not okay to do that. So really, I just wanted to encourage the members, ex-members that have left to to share their story whenever they're comfortable or however they're comfortable, because it really does make a difference for other people. And also, it's such a healing experience for yourself to own your narrative. Um, That's basically it. So, you know, boom, baby.